People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello and a warm welcome to People's Poetry Podcast. This is Series 3, Episode 4. Thank you for joining me. This is the poetry podcast that follows me, Jimmy Bowman, an aspiring poet and teacher alike, as I travel the UK talking to established poets, as well as poets who have just taken their first steps into the world of poetry, as I try to find out why it is we have just such a love affair with poetry in this country. This is a podcast aimed not just at those who already like poetry, but those who've never really considered it before. I want to show you that there's something in the world of poetry written for you. What an episode we have got in store for you. This episode's featured poet is the fantastic Luke Wright. I'd been very excited to meet up and talk with Luke. We discussed politics in poetry and how it affects us daily, comedy within poetry and its place, truth and bravery, the Labour Party, James O'Brien of all people, the media and forming our own opinions, the role of the Poet Laureate, much of his works including After Engine, Trouble and The Toll. We got an exclusive live recital of a poem mid chat which was brilliant talks about an empathy famine within the uk writing in different styles john cooper clark the libertines and tattoos it was such a fun conversation to have and what a stylish gent too so without further ado here it is i'm thrilled to be joined by one of the uk's most prominent voices in poetry and spoken word at the minute mr luke Wright. hello uh, how, how are you i'm very good yeah i'm feeling good because i'm sitting down and i'm not in a car which is about Pretty much the first time that's happened today, even though we're quite far into the day. Yeah, it feels a lot later than it is now because it's getting very dark. It's doing that November well. thing, isn't it? Of getting dark. And yeah. you're looking very sharp, as I said. Oh, thank you very much. I haven't even actually properly got dressed, although it's possible I will just wear my vest and a jacket <laughs> for the gig tonight. Before I sort of get into your actual works, you've been doing this uh, a long time, and I, w- I will talk about the toll, and I will talk about engine um, trouble as well, but. I suppose the first question would be, how did it all start for you? Um, it, it started, I guess, oh, I don't know, what, 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 ta- what point does it start? You can go, oh, it's when my mum encouraged me to write stories when I was tiny. Or, you know, you go, oh, it's when I first heard the lyrics of Damon Albarn. Yeah. Or it's like I went on a songwriting course run by Martin Yule, and then I saw Martin Yule and John Cooper. I always think the story always starts, really, in, in, in a literal sense. When I saw Martin Yule, John Cooper Clark and Ross Sutherland do a gig at Culture Arts Centre on the 12th of December, 1998. Wow. And I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> it was so cool. They were so clever. And I was a fan of Python and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and um, sketch comedy on the TV. I used to love um, Fist of Fun. I was a really early adopter to Lee and Herring. Right. Um, but there was just something so... so but I was also into rock and roll. And I, and I felt like sort of live poetry straddled those two yeah. worlds. It was yeah. like a like a comedian fronting a band, but without a band. Um, and yet it was poetry, which was cool and clever and intellectual and sexy. And just the combination of all those things, I just thought, I, I, I could do that. Yeah, yeah. I want to do that. Yeah, because I knew I couldn't sing in a band because I wasn't... I can't sing. <laughs> there's, there's that fine line between music and poetry. Like, we had Tony Walsh on and I was chatting to him and he's the same, he's sort of obsessed with music. What, what was it about Blur you mentioned there? So Or Damon Albarn? It was just the cleverness of it and I, and I felt that again when, when, I, when, I, um, when I saw John Cooper Clark and Martin Yule they, they, they could just, these, these great turns of phrase, little lines and they could just be sort of like puns or um, our drinks have arrived. Our drinks have yeah, arrived. Our drinks have arrived. <laughs> Um, so, but yeah, I, I think um, uh, just a clever line. I, I just, it just it's a great turn of phrase. Sounding, being able to sum something up in it, and so, so <laughs> doing the opposite of what I'm doing now, which is <laughs> not not saying what I mean. Um, yeah, I um, I really like that, and I thought I want to make myself sound clever. Yeah, <laughs> I want to take some time to write. Um, yeah, I love the idea, the freedom of it. I feel like I write something in the morning and then take it on stage in the afternoon. It's, it was when you compare that to sort of doing a play or you know, you know writing a novel. Or, you know, so the, you, the immediacy of it was so exciting. I mean, that's so that's one reason you got into poetry because uh, you just said the sort of freedom of it, I guess. But you, I mean, you're not limited to poetry anymore, are you? You've got no. sort of uh, play uh, stuff on stage, yeah. uh, plays in verse. I see. I see it all of as an extension of poetry. So I write this some um, comedy books, a humour book for Hamish Hamilton with uh, with Joel Stickley in about two thousand and seven, um, and 
I didn't like the experience of that. I mean, how much I like working with Joel um, because it sort of, it took me away from poetry as me trying to use my writing for something else. Right. Um, but writing the plays, I don't see as taking me away. I think see as an extension. Everything I've learned in writing poems goes into those verse plays. Mm. That they still feel like reflections of. I think maybe the, the human book didn't feel like it. Well, I was creating art. It felt like I was creating a, a product, uh, using the skills I developed whilst learning how to make art. But yeah, I feel like maybe, so. Maybe that's it. So yeah, but they all feel like they're part of the same thing. So it's fair to say a great uh, deal of your poetry, not all of it, um, but focuses on sort of Britain and, and politics or elements oh, yeah, of yeah. politics. Um, I find talking to, not so much to poets, but talking to you know people outside of the world of poetry, politics can be uh, a bit of a, a dirty word. It can scare some people off, but you seem yeah. to have this, this knack of writing about it but it doesn't feel overtly political yeah well i think with every, you know I, I subscribe to the idea that everything is political certainly everything is in society is political it's, it's, i'm very interested in how decisions made uh in a, in a technocratical way or or even not even sort of in, a, in the more sort of party political way of decisions and policy how they, they, they then become to affect everyday life for example like what was really taken by this um story that um uh, and I'm going to forget his name now, which is going to make the story less good. <laughs> uh, it was Gordon Brown's spin doctor. His name forget, escapes me for the moment. Uh, and left, left that job in disgrace. But anyway, he, he was a big beer drinker, this guy. And uh, every year they were lobbied. They, before the budget, they're lobbied by hundreds of different people. Yeah. Different industries. Oh, can you give us a tax break? That sort of thing. And every year the guy from camera came along, you know, the, 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 real, the campaign for real mm -hmm. ale. Yeah. yeah come along and they're, they're, they're nice chaps but they're never going to give them anything and then one year they were looking for an extra little offer to put on their sheet of offers you know vote winning offers they had a Blairite government a special way of doing the budget yeah um, to make sure they were offering you know, you know there was plenty of carrot along, along with a stick and they, they, they had a spot for something and uh, and the spin doctor was like look the real ale guys and they did a um they did a sort of um they did a tax tax break or a vat exclusion for small for small breweries um and it's one of the things that's underpinned this revolution that we've had in in in, in micro breweries and then the kind of the, the beer revolution we've had in this country there are a lot of them, yeah. yeah right yeah. completely different to how it was when we were growing up right and that a lot of that's come, you know, obviously there's a cultural thing as well, but it's come down from like this little technocratic change to, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. to tax law. So I, I just find that really interesting that, that, that really that the decisions that these people are making really do affect us in a yeah. real, very real way. Yeah. Uh, I've always been drawn to narratives that, that place um, uh, personal stories against a backdrop of, of political upheaval. Um, yeah, I, and, I, and I think um, also I think that there's a limit to what we can do as artists if we're just soapboxing and giving an opinion. Not to say that I didn't do that; I did that for years, right? Yeah, still do it sometimes. Um, but um, essentially, the way we can, um, I think, make make a difference is by showing how um, uh, people, how humanity, on a very micro level, is affected by these big macro decisions. So. You know, and and also sometimes I use my characters like in my plays to sort of as sort of metaphors for mm. for whatever it is I'm talking about. For, so 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 with Frankie Var, he's like he's he's like he's almost a, he's a, that character is a metaphor for the absolutism of, of of political division. You know, so you know when when you've got when you've got an uncompromising left and an uncompromising right, yeah. what happens? Um, in, in a similar way that, that the, in my new play, um, the, the remains of Logan Dankworthy, um, the relationship in that is almost like a metaphor for Brexit. Not strictly you can't line it all up but it's but it's because mm. i just think we understand ourselves better than we understand politics so the very fact that p politics puts people off suits me right in, the, in what yeah. i do because i'm i what i want to do is is, is is bring those issues alive in a way that people will understand like they understand what a breakup is but they don't understand what brexit brexit is for example yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they understand you know uh, how, how why friendships might fail because people come from different backgrounds, but they don't necessarily understand what what Labour did with class. You know, so so I use those stories to try and, and it's generally and these, these people bigger. that don't understand uh, or not don't understand, but they or, or choose, choose not to be interested. Choose not to be interested. Yeah, they they're the ones who don't vote as well. But I suppose you writing in the way you do 
could get people to vote if they, they realise that small things do affect well, them. Well, it, hopefully it's part of a larger you know, mm. your cultural you know, movement to, to, to politicise and to engage. Yeah. Um, you know, and certainly people have come up to me and said, said after plays or off poach gigs that, that it's made them think again about, about the way they, they view politics. So... That's not the reason I do it. It'd be disingenuous for me to suggest it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there are probably better ways. I could go knock on doors and actually talk to people face. You know, but um, if that's a that's a side effect of me producing the art that I want to produce, then then great. Yeah, yeah. and your your poetry is also um, it contains a lot of humour. It is very funny, very funny in places, um, especially you know some of the, some of the subjects you talk about are quite bleak yet you still manage to make them sort of relevant affirming sometimes poignant and i love that about your poetry Sim- similar to tony walsh who i mentioned earlier um, and and i suppose one of the ideas of coming around talking to these poets on this podcast is to show that poetry is not this preempted idea that people have of it it's it's not that rigid sort of thing you learn at school but a lot of people yeah. say there's there's no place for humor in poetry I mean, why do you think it's so important to have that element? Because it, it really uh, works in your in your work. Well, I just well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, in, in many ways, my poems have got less funny. I think mm. <laughs> my output's less funny. No, well, not always. I mean, I, I like to make people laugh. I, I just I think stand up is a more effective way of making an audience laugh than yeah. poetry. And so, so what I tend to do now, and Johnny Clark does the similar sort of thing. You know, he, his poems themselves, they're wry, they're, they're, they're witty, they're yeah. humorous. And I think it's probably the same for a lot of mine. There are a few gags, but I don't really put gags into my poems because I think gags are false, right? There's a, there's a falseness often in, in a gag. Yeah. It's about, yeah. Um, whereas the poems are about truth. and um, Yeah. So it's something that comes naturally, I suppose, as part of your writing process. Well, yeah, I just just think like I am. Um, I remember talking to this. Um, I was back in the days when I was trying to get a literary agent. I talked to a woman called Georgia Garrett. She's a great literary agent, and she's a um, literary agent for my friend Joe Dunthorne, but also for um, Sadie Smith and other notable people. And um, I was chatting to her about writing generally because she was, you know, I guess interviewing me, see whether she'd take me on. And she said, oh, me and Zadie, me and Zadie, <laughs> me and Zadie always say, why not make something funny? And that really stayed with me. I was like, yeah, why not make something funny? It doesn't mean that you have to, you have to be flippant or silly or, 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 you know, or cartoonish. Yeah, You can definitely. just, you know, life is funny, right? Life, life is funny and it is serious. We, we all laugh. Well, we, I hope, I'd hope people, everyone laughs at least once a day, right? Yeah. Um, and so why not make a piece of writing that is, you know, why not make it funny? And you yeah. spoke. I've seen in interviews in the past. You spoke about um, trying to bring people out of sort of darkest, their darkest moments, perhaps, or dark moments through poetry, and that is that's sort of one of the roles of poetry. Yeah, I think so. I think poetry can help us under. Um, um, it can bring us solace, can't it? I think. Um, uh, so it's not like I'm going around, you know, some sort of performing therapist or anything like that but 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 it, but it's um i have noticed the more vulnerable i make myself on stage the more the more i talk about you know my my problems and and um, my feelings and i know i expose myself emotionally <laughs> um, um the, the more people you know i think the, the more people get get out of it anyway but also you know I, I i'm people are more likely to contact me now after a show and say Hang in there, big guy. I went through something similar, and yeah. you know, and that was, you know, or you know, oh, thank you for saying that. I didn't think anyone else felt like that. It was really useful for me, or those things. So obviously, that that that's really really great, and I guess that is why we do it because we're desperately trying to connect. Yeah, I've always said an, an artist is trying to connect with people. Poetry is sort of a literary act of bravery in many cases because it is that sort of truth that you spoke about. Yeah, about I that, think truth is very important. As that um, Kingsley Amos said it about Philip Larkin that he never wrote a line of poetry that he did not mean and that he was the most truthful of poets and therefore the, the, the greatest of poets in, in King's opinion yeah. probably in my opinion as well um, that he really meant it man he, mean, he means it man <laughs> um, and uh, that's that, that's a good reason yeah doesn't mean that you can't construct or be artificial or be playful but I, th- I think I think you've got to come from a place of truth yeah you know otherwise what's the point yeah, you can't, I, I, can't, poetry can't. Poetry shouldn't virtue signal. I suppose people can. Poetry needs to be dark. It has all the darkness in it, right? And they can see. You can sense when something's quite false, and it, yeah. it doesn't have the same. Well, that's that's why I think they kind of that virtue signaling poetry is kind of the worst, where people are sort of saying yeah. what they think people want to hear. Yeah, 
you is know, in chest thumping. I think a lot of political poetry can be like that because they're going for easy targets. And I think, I think the thing is you used to be able to get away with that to an extent because we weren't all having a constant conversation the way we are now, like online. Um, mm. and, and with with so many more media outlets, yeah, every single angle, you know, the, 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 there's there's almost a, a sort of a, a consensus angle on every news story that comes along. So trying to do a poem about it, it's been kind of agreed on Twitter. So yeah, unless you're doing something really lyrically, linguistically impressive, what's the point of writing that poem? You're just basically cons- you're, ju- you're just a lyrical cap on a public opinion, and that's not what poetry is. I think I used to think that. What, what poetry could be I don't think that now yeah. I, think, I think poetry needs to be your own individual idea on that and I think you need, it needs to be brave and it needs to express you know um, some ugly thoughts sometimes if, that, if you're having this everyone had a go at Craig Rain didn't they last, last year he wrote this piece that people deemed to be quite pervy he was looking at a yeah, did you, do you know what I'm talking about? He, not, he, no, he was a piece not, in the TLS or something. I, I didn't read it the only stuff I can think of similar is uh, sort of Bobby Parker's stuff he sometimes uh, some of his Bobby Park is a really brave poet. Yeah, he, yeah. T- he, you know, warts and all, and it should be that. Well, Craig Ray wrote, Rain wrote this piece, and it was, it was, it was. Uh, was he looking at a middle-aged woman and, and, and thinking how he didn't fancy her now because he didn't like her the way her body had changed? And you know, he got right. you know people were critical of that, and that isn't a very, uh, it isn't a very nice thought, right? Um, and I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying like, yeah, go Craig, <laughs> say what we're all thinking, but it, but it, it obviously was what his. Well, yeah, I, I assume it was his truth, unless he was trying to troll everybody. Um, so yeah, I guess it's a fine line between. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe some people just, just shouldn't speak their truth because it's too <laughs> horrible. Like, so maybe, maybe, but then like, you know, um, yeah, I don't. You know, he wasn't advocating abuse. I don't think. I think he was just being a bit. You know. Yeah. You know, he's objectifying. So. A lot of your, uh, well, not a lot, but certainly areas of your uh, previous works as well are focused on uh, new labour and uh, sort of critiques new labour. Um, do you think they were particularly damaging for the Labour Party? Oh God, I wish they'd come back, man. I'd have, I'd have new Labour in a flash over what we've got now. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, was, I mean, that was my next question. So I, mean, well, no, no, I don't mean within the Labour Party. I think, I think, I think potentially we have something very exciting in the Labour Party. I mean, mm. it's despairing that, 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 the, that, the, that the brand, the brand of Corbynism has been so tarnished both by its own, you know, uh, um, inept uh, um, handling of things but also by you know just the sheer onslaught of hatred and, uh, and, and and negativity for the mainstream media that is true i know that's become a bit cliche go on mainstream media but i think i think it's definitely true i mean you know oh, yeah 100 percent. so much smearing going on um uh but actually I, I think you know um probably what will happen is corbyn will lose this election mm. um and do you think that'll be the end of corbyn Oh, well, I would hope so. Yeah, I mean, mm. I mean, I mean, I don't think you can't. If, if for some reason they propped him up and carried him around like weekend at Bernie's, you know, like I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean like if he, if he loses two elections, you've got to go. You know, he's, he, they're not going to go. Oh, do you know what? Third time lucky. Actually, we do <laughs> like him. It's not going to happen. And actually, I think there is a wealth of talent within the Labour front bench, exciting yeah. people. I think Angela Rayner for me. Yeah. First and foremost. You know, Angela, that's exciting prospects having someone young and interesting. So I think it's been a necessary. There has been a necessary shifting period of shifting yeah. to the left to offer people a. Um, I think a lot of the ideas and also also the you know they're always painted as uh, retroactive kind of policy moves. You know, to move Labour back to the seventies, or it'd be like the seventies again, all that nationalisation. But actually, I think a lot of the ideas around. Corbynism are quite dynamic and forward-looking, but um, I think probably he himself and some of the people around him are a little bit stuck, uh, dogmatically, ideologically stuck. Yeah. Um, and so I think letting that next generation of people who've come into the party through Corbyn. I certainly agree with you with the press as well. I know, as you said, it's become almost cliche to say uh, he's been smeared. Well, in the I press. wince when I hear this, the phrase "mainstream media" because yeah. I just think it's you know it's like it's like fake news. It exists. It is a real problem, but it's been used to you know it's you know I, I, it, it feels like a it feels like an excuse. Yeah. Even though I know it's not, it's a genuine one. It just yeah. I'm, I'm sort of halfway through. Uh, I don't know if you read it. The James O'Brien, uh, "How to Be Right in a World How Gone to be Wrong." That's wrong. Yeah. Um, and that's certainly. I mean, I what knew. Do you think of James O'Brien? I mean, some things he says, I think, are, are just and come from a good place. And I, the, the overriding message I'm taking from this book is that people aren't 
questioned or challenged enough about their beliefs. They just sort of read the paper, take them, that's it. They're going to spout that then. That, but a bit like his audience. I mean, the thing I think I think his audience are just the same. A lot mm. of them are, but they just have a different opinion. Yeah, I, I, I feel that people on people on the sort of. Um, I'm just playing devil's advocate, but, but, but so people, I think sometimes people on the left uh, hold opinions just because they're fashionable, right? The same reason yeah. people, you know, just just because they've gleaned their opinions from a wider bubble on social media doesn't mean it's any more narrow-minded than people who've only gleaned their opinions from the sort of you know the people they work with or go down the pub with. I heard of someone saying, or oh, expressing concern of a J.K. Rowling, and. Um, it was said to her, well, what's wrong with J.K. Rowling? And this other person went, oh, well, she's just one of these turfs, isn't she? And then my friend said, well, what, 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 what's that mean? She goes, oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know, but, you know, just maybe... I was like, what, you're going to cancel somebody based on a rumour of, of a thing that you don't even necessarily understand what that means? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think yeah. people, people understand what is politically okay and not okay. Um, and they make their own mind up about things because they don't want it. They want to be. They don't want to fall foul of like a supposed um, sort of. Oh, it's like Greeny turning up. <laughs> for, for for viewers at home, uh, legendary road manager Johnny Green has just entered the room. <laughs> he used to tour manage the Clash. He's he's my current boss. Yeah. I have to do every. I have to That's do everything he cool. says. He's very cool. Um, anyway, I'm getting off the point. That wasn't a very articulately expressed point, but I think I think people people just do. Um, uh, yeah, I think um, I think the short answer is <laughs> on both sides of the political spectrum, people do not ch- question, challenge, they accept. Because none of us got time. We've got, we've got time to work out our own opinion on things. So it's easier just to go whatever James O'Brien said because he's generally yeah. right about things. Yeah. And he makes fool out he makes fools out of these idiots, these idiot Brexiteers. He makes them look stupid. He belittles them. Um, so you the, know. the last sort of political thing before I, I focus a bit yeah. more on your on your. Uh, last two collections is um there's this idea where you speak about um i think it's in one of your verse plays where sort of having very different uh, ideologies to your parents yeah um and I've, I've sort of noticed this dynamic obviously the youth always go left and then the the sort of older people seem to be right why what is it that causes this sort of corruption of the left as we get older why do you think so many people abandon those views and and switch I'm sure many, 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 <laughs> many better informed, brighter people than me have offered opinion. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think essentially, um, it, it's the idea is that there's an idealism in in, in in being left wing. There's a sort of like we can all we can all live a better life, and there's a cynicism in in being right wing. And there's this sort of like, well, things are fucked and we can't fix them anyway. Um, there's also the idea that the more you have to conserve, the more conservative you become. So you have these yep. people who go, well, I, I, I used to vote to the left when it suited me and now that I've got loads of money it doesn't suit me I'm going to vote you know uh, I, I think they're the worst kind of people uh, I've, mm. <laughs> like like people who vote for themselves rather than, rather than what they understand to be a better society yeah. are the worst Pe- people who become I, I think they're, they're worse than people who just become a bit more cynical as it gets older and I think the ideas of the left won't work I think also I think as we when we're younger we tend to we tend to wed ourselves to ideolo- the ideology because we don't understand how the world works and so what we do is we listen to James O'Brien or we <laughs> listen to Karl Marx or we listen to you know and go ah oh, I believe this ideology yeah, here, yeah. here is a here's a here's a here's a a a microwave ready set of beliefs and idealisms I can I can subscribe to and anyone who disagrees with me is a cunt Mm-hmm. And it's easy, and that's like, and that's and, that, and that's where you get the whole Tories are evil thing, right? They're evil, they're evil. Yeah. Um, I heard once someone describe this said, um, you know, the difference with the left and right wing is that the left wing um, tries to pick up everybody and take them with them as they go, um, and the right wing assume that some people will just be stamped into the road and they they write them off as collateral damage. Mm. That's obviously a left-wing person's view of what the two <laughs> yeah. things are, um, and you know it's a very seductive way of looking at it. You know, and uh, people want to feel that they're right. Mm. And when you're young, you want to have the warmth of knowing that you're the goodies, right? The left wing are the goodies, right? <laughs> there wasn't uh, well. That's certainly the narratives that we have at the moment, right? Yeah, the, the, the left, the, the, the Tories are the nasty party. Left wings are the goodies, and young people want to be seen as goodies. I think once you get older, people are less bothered about being seen. seen 
in some way. Yeah, definitely. They're less. They have less time for politics. They've got real things in their life, and they're going to vote for the who they deem to be the safest pair of hands. So there's that. Um, uh, yeah, and I just think people become. See, my mum is, is the kindest, most generous person I know. She, right. she will go out of her way, not only for her family, but for anyone she meets. We never had a Christmas where there wasn't some waif or stray from the village who was in with us. And I mean, I use that term loosely, like, I mean, it was often like <laughs> very posh old ladies, but, you know, who were lonely or, you know, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. People, who, people who didn't have anyone to go to on Christmas. My mum would be like, yeah, come to us. She's like that, right? She's really generous. She's worked for loads of charities. She used to run a, a Bernardo shop and stuff like that. Um, However, she will vote for Conservative. Mm. Now, if you if you if you based your opinion on my mum just just on how she voted, you know, there's a lot of young people out there. They would write her yep. off as evil. Tories are evil, right? Yeah. You hit the nail on the head there. Right? Exactly but like, like my but, but my, my mum is so generous. But she doesn't see. She sees. She has a different view. To, so she she's interested in people. Uh, she's not interested in a, in a macro I- ideological view of how we make society better. Yeah. And a lot. Of, and also, I think for our parents' generation, um, they were brought up witnessing or witnessing what, what what they could of the horrors of communism and um what a collective society looked like which yeah. was actually a, a, a lack of freedom and so to be to be right-wing to be liberal to be was was to be free was to allow and, and it's, it's, i think that's very that narrative is still very strong in america which is like a low tax f- you know freedom do you want the american dream is all about well, aside from being able to come from nothing to achieve great heights it's about freedom, which is why they have the gun laws and all that. You defend yourself, have the freedom, you know, you know, you know because that's all collective um, trauma from, from the, the Puritans who landed in, in, in this country, who had been, in, in that country, who had been persecuted. And, yeah. and then the idea of them in America, they, they had a religious freedom, they could do what they want, and, they, and, that, and that's why I think that country is so different to ours, um, because they have this insatiable need for freedom and and that and that there's there's a right-wing narrative that fits that idea um whereas in this country because the left have been more socially liberal i think we we sort of own that freedom narrative you can do what you like yeah whereas whereas the right can then get associated with people who are anti-abortion or or people who are anti-gay marriage and all those sort of things you know and then then the right under david cameron rightly realized that was a massive fucking needless vote loser for them which they they tried to write that and that and that that actually that issue the gay issue um uh, um is um something that's gone from the 80s from being you know I mean, I wasn't around in the 80s, but I've read around the issue and I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, um, I've, I've watched TV programmes. You know, it was to, to be you know gay in the 80s. I mean, there was there was a majority view in both the Labour and the Conservative Party. There was something wrong about that. Mm. 85% of voters thought that it was wrong, Mad, or at least sometimes wrong, for yeah. a man to be with a man. And you, you get 20. 14 or what it was David Cameron's voting through equal marriage and you know the mainstream view is it's just insane to have a problem with that yeah <laughs> rightly so and that's a huge shift in 20 years it is yeah um so I'm going off the point slightly there but you know <laughs> but because it was, it was obvious it was it was it was it was obviously a cruel policy people realized that and the moment people realized it was a cruel policy and, and that people out there thought it was cruel the right wanted to distance themselves from that as quickly as possible yeah so you're you're to talk about your work now you're touring mm-hmm. a show called Poet Laureate. Um, yeah, I'm coming to the end of that tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got, we've got three more dates to go. And I'm right in thinking Poet Laureate's not something you think's particularly great in this day and age. It's sort of a bit old school, a bit too traditionally. Well, I just think um, it's like all these things. You start writing about and you have an opinion. And you, you, you write it all down. Then, then personally, you're like, oh, I don't care. The, the poetry says <laughs> all that, you know. Yeah, it's fine. Do you know what? I, I mean, we we couldn't hope for a better poet laureate than, than Simon Armitage. I think he's a. This is true. I think yes. he's a he's a hugely um, knowledgeable, talented, diligent, generous, um, all round great guy. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you know who, who who better who better to have yeah. in that role? I think I think the very idea of it seems to me a bit mad because it because, because it's a position in the royal household. Mm-hmm. It's a royal. It's a royal role. It's a monarchist role. It's nothing to do with the government. Right. Government administrates it, but yeah, it's yeah. officially positioned in the royal household. Um, I haven't seen. Have you seen any royal verse that Simon's written? He's not done anything no, yet. No, I've, I've seen well, a couple of things. Keep an eye on that. He's not done very much yet, as you don't think. No. Um, he's picked up his sherry, though. <laughs> <laughs> he, went, he, went to, he went to Spain and picked up his sherry. Well, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, why wouldn't you? <laughs> why I'm wouldn't not, you? not blaming him for that. I'm just saying, no, he's done it. Um, yeah. 
but whatever he does will be will be um, thoughtful. Yeah, I am looking careful. forward to see to see what yeah. he does. And you obviously you mentioned you've got uh, the remains of Logan Dankworth. Yeah. Um, and, and it's sort of, I read that you've not you. It's about Brexit and that relationship, but you haven't purposely haven't used the word Brexit. Well, I mean the first version of the script of Brexit written all through it is, mm. is, is on my director Alex Thorpe. He said um, that he, yeah didn't yeah we shouldn't do that. We should get rid of the Brexit. So it makes it makes his makes his skin crawl. The word yeah. He said, I feel like when I hear that word, I'm being lectured to. And I think that's a good point. It's like it's a bit like hearing mainstream media. Yeah. Even if I agree with the point being made, I'm like, oh, not that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, we just got rid of the word Brexit entirely. I mean, we know people know that we're talking about that. We talk about the EU referendum. Right. We okay. just don't use that portmanteau Brexit. Yeah. Because, yeah. And before, so the toll was your last full collection, wasn't it? Of yeah. Poetry, um, which I absolutely loved. Um, Thank you. The Essex Lion is great. Uh-huh, um, yeah. It's yeah, it's sort of a, almost a modern classic in my house. Um, I absolutely love Hangover in Town Sunday morning as oh, well. That's nice of you to say that. Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, yeah I just I don't I know like that I, piece a lot actually. I think you. I mean, for anyone who hasn't read it, could you sort of just talk to us about that poem? Because for me, it sort of perfectly captured just how mundane life can be sometimes. Oh, cause maybe I could do it. Maybe if I maybe I could do the poem because that'd be better than it's talking. That about would it. be um, amazing. Let's yeah. See if I can do. Um, the cash machines are out of service, bled of notes for beer or chips, the dirty city doorsteps strewn with chicken wings or pizza crusts. There has been a battle here, the soldiers long since carted off in taxi cabs, draped dragged by mates half howling songs of grotty love on terrace back streets, buttons popped or bloody gob victorious. And today they roam the airy malls, showered, shaved and purposeful. They're zipped up neat to mask the dogs that nip and growl inside their skulls. A poster in a cute font asks, can you do a drink-free month? The most could if they wanted to. Live without the white light nights, get by without oblivion. But what then, huh? Just more of this. More fist ball strolls around the shops. Or box sets on the half-bought couch. Do more, they say. Enrich your life. But drink, you see, is not like life. It's life stopped dead. A slurred pause. Do more. No, thank you. I want less. Amazing. I think that's it. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. It is. It almost read. Pretty, yeah. Almost. Almost <laughs> there. Yeah. I so. Wow. That I, I, made, I made a song of that. It's on the. It's on the. It's on the vinyl. It's called. Uh, it's called Battle. Okay. Um, yeah. I've just got some singing. I've got a six song chorus, but I just do the. We split it into three verses, but. I like that poem. I'm, I'm I, I honestly, it. yeah, yeah. I, and it, genuine, I was so hungover when I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously, uh, the one about Ian Duncan Smith is one that a lot of people talk because uh, throughout that, you, you still use lipograms, don't you? Um, uh, yeah, a univocal lipogram univocal or univocalism, yeah. yeah. So it's a poem that only uses one type of vowel. Which I know you've said uh, they sort of aesthetically work and you said perhaps they don't intellectually work, but I think it, it, it's still an amazing poem and you do one for each vowel almost, don't you, throughout that? Yeah, I mean, for example, if you translated that Ian Duncan Smith poem into, into, into a non-lipogram, right, into, you know... It would not, I don't think, offer a huge insight. However, however, if you translated a lot of poems into prose, what kind of insights do they offer? I mean, I think um, I think I was talking. I think I remember talking to Simon Armitage about something like this. It's like I think he was saying, like most poems don't tell you anything new. Yeah. Like, it's just the, it's, it's not about what they say, it's about how they say it. Mm. So in many ways, it's a, it's a, classic, a classic poem. I think, think 
you're, you're quite back things to me that I've said that I don't remember saying, but, but also like <laughs> sounds like something I might have said. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think you know, I don't think you know, it's not, it's not saying anything that no one's and anyone said before. But that was that was the point of it. It, it was yeah. to try and say all those things. The, the reason I wrote that poem in that form is that I've always wanted to write a poem by Ian Duncan Smith. But every time I try to write anything, I was like, yeah, but we know all this, right? The same, you know, for what we were saying earlier about about you know, you know, Twitter said it, right? If it's something worth saying about politics, everyone's you know, literally every it's like a hive mind. It's hive mind, isn't it? Every yeah. person with anything worth saying in the world has already had a bash at saying that. So what's left for the poet to say? Yeah, it's only down to the way that we say it. So so those univocalisms are a great way of doing that because they um, they are so extreme and they take a great deal of skill. Yeah, like like many years of, of working at it and yeah. getting better. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, when I was reading it, I thought I'd, I could never do this. This would take me forever. But so you just it just play. clicks one day, yeah. and you just fall into it. Yeah. So after Engine Trouble, obviously the uh, very small collection pamphlet for uh, Rough Trade yeah. books. Um, again, amazing. Good Morning Britain. Um, I absolutely loved. Uh, oh, and you, you talk about empathy failure. Is that something you think the UK has? Yeah. In general, this sort of lack of empathy yeah, nowadays. Yeah, I think so. I talked to my friend Molly Naylor about this, and she said, "Oh, it's she's not empathy; it's compa- compassion." And then she's right. An empathy failure. famine. Sorry, famine. Empathy famine, famine from snowflakes to gammon. gammon. That's yeah. it. An empathy famine from snow. That's a bit of rhyme there. From snowflakes <laughs> to gammon. Um, yeah, uh, or a compassion famine from snowflakes to gammon. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Do, do we do. Yeah, well, I think so. Mm. I think you see that a lot about. I mean, I mentioned the trans turf debate in in that. Yeah. Which you know, I think, um, I think you know, I think, I think transphobia is a real, real and and, and um, awful thing. You said that first out, but you've got online, right? It, right. My experience in in in, in real life. Is actually people being way more nuanced in that particular argument than you know, at the moment. There's a, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of. There seems to be like a face-off between lesbians and 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 trans women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and their various allies. But like in reality, when you meet people, there isn't there isn't that you know, there's so much more of a nuanced understanding. Yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. What what Twitter does is it just sort of shows you the the, 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 the polarized black and white views and stuff like that. Um, so it's about it's, it's not about that we have a, a, a an empathy failure in. In real life, is that we have that online because that's yeah. what the front of that poem's about. It's this complete lack of being able to see the other person's point of view, um, and I, I think that's you know, you know, it's, Twitter's not the place to have these arguments. Mm. But you you would leave you would leave Twitter thinking that these things are really real and present. And actually, what you need to do is go out as the poem does. It's got a lot of stuff to get <laughs> in the sea and put everything in perspective. The and, and yeah, and that's my experience. Actually, when people meet each other face to face, they're much more of a stand, understanding of people's... Which is nice to hear. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, yeah I think nice there is hope. There is hope, yeah. but it's just not on the internet. <laughs> um, the Ballad of the Dog is almost sort of Malcolm Tucker-esque. I love that poem as well. Yeah, that's actually about the guy that I mentioned earlier on, his name... <laughs> I forgot. I need to find out what this guy's name is. Um, uh, he's got a Catholic like Alistair name. Alistair Campbell. No, it's vibes. not Alistair Campbell, but it's um, he's he was he was like Alistair Campbell's opposite number on Gordon Brown's team. Yeah. Uh, and this is going to uh, come to us at late at night. His name is on the tip of my tongue. He got fired. He ended up doing anyway. But it's, it's, it's that that poem is very specifically about him. Yeah, and then. Um, if if there was a People's Poetry Podcast award, yeah. my favourite simile of the year has gone to you, and it's in um, Embrace the Wank. Oh, yeah. And it's uh, Glorious Like a Goth on a Beach. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I absolutely love that poem about um, sort of pretentiousness and... Sort That's of, a bit of a live favourite now. Yeah, I do that I do that quite. I do that one quite a lot. I'm going to find out the name of this, this guy. <laughs> there he is there. You can see his picture. Damien McBride. Damien McBride. Damien uh, yeah, McBride. Yeah, yeah. He was known as Muck Poison. Yeah, I'm and he was Gordon Brown's attack dog. Yeah, uh, that's it. And that's it. The battle of the dog is about. No, um, that is a brilliant poem. Oh, thank you very much. Um, okay, I don't do that one anymore, but um, but you long. do uh, embrace the wank. Embrace the wank live, is yeah. yeah, I do that a lot. Okay. Yeah. Um, thank you, Gotham. I almost changed that Gotham the Beach. I changed that line. I thought it was a bit hack, actually. To be honest, I thought people oh, have done this, Gotham Beach. Oh, I don't know. It was it was a great so, image. Okay. It, was, yeah, it just, yeah, it just yeah. fit it. Right yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Well, that's it, isn't it? It's like um, there's something. 
how I understand your presentiousness is like, so if you wear all black and it's the middle of winter, this, you, know, you don't really stand out. But if, you, if you're doing it against against the weather, then you're doing it for sort of unnatural reasons in a way, you know? Yeah. But, I saw, but, but that one, that's what I'm celebrating. It's like, yeah, fuck. Yeah, no, I loved it. I love I I loved the that. idea that, that the goths in summertime, you know, just going for it, yeah. <laughs> um, And it's, it says on the back that, that that collection's slightly different to your previous collection. Mm. So what, for anyone who's not read it yet, what, what is it that, that well, I'm not that? Well, I'm not using formal verse patterns. I mean, mm. I mean I'm not, you know, going A, B, a B or A A A B or you know or ballad meter or whatever you know yeah. I'm not doing that stuff anymore um, and I think for me a lot of that writing in that traditional way helped me work out what I was saying about things because mm. I was forced it you know um, and I'm writing slightly more in free verse because I've got a better idea about what it is I want to say but I'm hopefully still composing hopefully it's still musical yeah i'm using meter and rhyme and definitely all those definitely things. Yeah. i'm just not using it in, in, in a regimented way although i am starting to look yeah i want to write i'm going to write some ballads again now i don't want to lose the knack yeah definitely. i do think i do think it's a, i do think it's a really great skill uh, to do but i just had to sort of come away and just sort of loosen my belt for a bit and you know dress down for a bit right it was brilliant i've, I've thoroughly enjoyed that thank um, you before I sort of wind up this chat, obviously I've got to mention uh, tonight you're supporting John Cooper Clark, something you've been doing a while. Um, I mean, how did that come about? John Cooper Clark's a bit of a hero of many's. And, uh, he is, isn't he? Yeah. You yeah. get to open for the great I really man. like him. Yeah, um, how, well, I've known him since I met Johnny when I was 15 for the first time. Mm. Uh, just we walk, He's walking down the street in Colchester, which is where I grew up, or where I went to school, where he lives. And a friend of ours was like, oh, we should go talk to him. We were quite drunk, I think. We've been drinking in the park. I was 16 or something like that. And we was like, it was like, I think, yeah, it was like, it was like, it was like oh, fuck knows. I don't know. We were, we were quite drunk. We've been drinking in the park. And um, my friend Liz was like, she could talk to him. He's a poet. My dad knows him. So <laughs> run over to him. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I was it going, kids? Or I was, I was teenagers. Yeah, all right, yeah. I was like, you're a poet, are you? He went, yeah, I am, yeah. I didn't know he was. Oh, did you know Martin Yule? Because I knew Martin Yule at this point. <laughs> Yeah, Martin's a very good friend of mine. All right, and then <laughs> I and then I, I saw him again. And we were um, sitting outside a pub with this band called Carrie. Mm. Do you remember a band called Carrie? They had a one-hit wonder with a song called Molly. Molly hits like a boy. No. They were supporting the Supernaturals on tour, and we had this thing. We used to go hang around outside Culture Arts Centre and try and meet the band. And if we could, go down the go down the venue, go down the pub with them. Yeah. So we did that with this band called Carrie, who obviously didn't want to talk to us because we were annoying teenagers. But then John Cooper Clark went on there and someone recognised him off a record sleeve. Oh, yeah, I know it's John Cooper Clark. Sit down there, so I'm all right, now sit down. He's, you know, we plied him with drinks and he just and he just held court. I was just, I was like, this guy is so cool. Yeah. And I'm really glad that I thought he was such a cool guy even before I knew his stuff. And then I got to know his stuff and went to go see him live. And so I've just always known him. I've just always known him. I've Amazing. Always, I, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't know how I have his phone number. Like, I don't know how do I have his phone number? <laughs> like, at some point, cheekily, at the age of 15 or 16, I just went, yeah, give us your numbers because I need to ring you for something. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> Amazing, <laughs> and then I just sort of ring him and invite him to gigs, and I've been gigging with him. Yeah, I've been gigging him since, since I started. Yeah, so fuck knows, but he obviously was very tolerant of this very annoying, gobby sixteen-year-old, and um, yeah, we're you know we're, we're old, we're old friends. We've been friends for a long time, and I think come 2011 sort of time, once his you know, after the Arctic Monkeys had him on that album, and things, yeah. you know, he got a new manager, and things started looking up. He started doing much bigger gigs. He was suddenly in a position to have a support act along, and so he Amazing. started having myself and Mike Gary. Now I'm I'm ashamed to admit this to you, but I've never seen yourself live. Uh-huh. I've always, you know, I've got Mondeo Man indoors. Oh, I uh, prefer uh, that. Yeah. I love the fact that you. But I'm going to see you uh, for the first time, I believe, because you're supporting again, Pete. Dockety with the Libertines, aren't you? I am doing that, yeah. Um, That's really not the best place to see me. <laughs> no, it probably isn't. Because that'll just be like five. Were you seeing Brixton? Brixton, yeah. That'll just be like 5,000 teenagers <laughs> just screaming at me to get off, basically. <laughs> That's what that is. But, um, I mean, how did that come about? Because, I mean, I know Peter's sort of, uh, you know, a bit of a poet himself. Yeah, it? yeah. So they have, they have that. Odd, yeah, they have, they have that whole thing. So I, I love the Libertines. I've yeah. loved the Libertines since, you know, the word. I've got yeah, my, go. my, my branding. Oh, you got it. Yeah. Did you get it? What did you get in Kent? Did you at uh, the um, at the Wheels of Vins? Uh, no, I didn't. No. I've, I've had it quite a while. I've got my mate to do it. It's just sort of show me. I found a, I found a picture that I think yeah, Pete yeah. had written online of, of it, and then she yeah she did it because it's in it's in that 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 picture when when Pete gets released from prison. Yeah, so that's right. Yeah, and Peter and Carla got them. Well, I um 
I did a gig supporting Johnny in Oxford mm. early last year sometime, like 2018 sometime. And um, in the audience was uh, a guy called Jai Stanley. And uh, Jai is um, Peter's manager and he co-manages the Libertines because so Carl's manager co-manages with him. Uh, and he sent me an email saying, oh, hello, I'll manage <laughs> Peter and the Libertines. Really like your stuff. Do you want to come do some work with us? Yes, <laughs> yes, like, please. Because <laughs> like, okay, I understand it might not be the sort of thing, just tell us to fuck off. Because you know, I know we're a bit marmite, you know, but I don't want to get involved with them. And I was just like, I was just like, I thought it was, honestly, I thought it was, I thought it was a joke. Yeah. Um, yes, another one of those, please. Do you want another lager? Uh, yeah, go on Should we cut this out? We'll keep this in the podcast. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so it was a, a Covossier, a brandy, please. Brandy? Brandy, cognac, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stella, please. Yeah. I mean, it's fitting. We, talk, we are talking about the Libertines, so the rock and yeah, roll. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we should say where we are. What, what's the hotel called? I can't remember now. Good for D, Dan. Dambius. Dambius Hotel. I've never been to this part of London. It's quite nice. Regent's Park, yeah. I feel like it's an area for sort of rich Middle Eastern businessmen. It has that kind of vibe to it. Yeah, like there's like like yeah. There's a massive hospital there as well, is and and, uh, and and the sick and and the frail. <laughs> um, so anyway, so yeah, yeah. Jai said to me that um, would I like to come and do uh, to compare this festival they're putting on in Margate? That the Sharabang one was Sharabang, right? yeah. yeah. Which is why I asked about your tattoo because they were they, they were, were do, do, yeah, they yeah, were yeah. tattooing the crowd. I couldn't get down to it, but yeah, I saw they were doing free <laughs> tattoos and yeah. My friend John Osborne was like, he said, because he came with me, he said, next year you should have a tattoo removal for <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, I went down, I met them all, and um, we yeah, just got really well with them. Like, um, like particularly in Carl Barat, in Carl, I just was like, oh, you're just like me and my mates. She just reminds me of my mates. Just this frame of reference. Oh, yeah. you know, oh did you see this, you know? Oh, I can't even remember whether you mentioned This American Life, but it was something like that. It was just like, oh, you just you just watch and listen to all the same shit I do, which of course he does, right? Because there's a reason that when the Libertines appeared, I was like, this is a band for me. Yeah, yeah. Because we're into the same stuff. We're the same frame of reference. So, so obviously it makes... Part of me was thinking, what's the chances of all the bands in Britain asking me to do a gig with them? It had to be the one I like the most. Well, actually, that does make sense because because yeah. you're into similar stuff. And in, in my stuff, they, they, they saw a kid in spirit. So yeah, I mean... It's nice. I just, I think because same with me because I put them on such a pedestal. Mm. You know, I almost worshipped them growing up. Um, I ended up playing Paul. How old are you? I'm 27, so I sort of missed missed the yeah. So yeah, so they were like a little bit ahead of you, whereas whereas I was a little bit old for the teens. Yeah. By the time they arrived, I was like finishing uni, and I was I wasn't really into being a fan of bands. But yeah, okay, right. So when when I used to be a music journo. Cole was DJing uh, Nambuka in North London. And I'd interviewed Sister A, the band that were on before he had a yeah. DJ set. And I'm, I was just sitting, I don't know why, I was sat on the curb eating chips and mayo. Mm. I think I was quite drunk. And yeah. Sister A walked past with car. All right, Jim, do you want to come for a drink? And I sort of just lobbed the chips like, it's cold, yeah, bro, it's yeah, cold, yeah. bro. <laughs> and then ended up playing Paul with him. And you're right, they're, they're just he's, into the same things. That, that He's lovely. Yeah. They're, re- they're really nice. And everyone around all Peter's band, cause I did, I taught, so I did a, some gigs with the Peter Madres earlier this year. Mm. And um, Peter's band are all just really nice. They're nice people. Yeah, because yeah, I met Jack, Jack, Jack Jones. Jack Jones. Yeah. Yes, I know Jack. Yeah, I know Jack Jones. Yeah, I met Jack Jones at Sherabang. Yeah. But um, yeah, like mates, like just mates. They've, yeah, I, I love those people. You, They're really nice. You got down to uh, Margate the other day to the Wasteland. I've not been yet. Well, we were on the Clarkey tour down there, but yeah. they're, they're not there. They're on, they're in Europe at the moment. Yeah, the lads. But um, but uh, Dean, yeah, who's the landlord, opened up for me. It's great. It's really it's really nice. It's a lovely bar. I, I it's see. Really cool. You, didn't you say it was like having a drink in Colbrat's Colbrat's brain? Brain. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's quite like Colbrat's house. All oh, right. I was like, it reminds me of Colbrat's house. Um, Thank and, you very um, much. He's got a very cool house. Uh, and um, thank you. And they were like going, yeah, yeah, it's the same painter. <laughs> so it's like, obviously, it's like it's ours. But it's like, yeah, they've 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 just you know created. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. No, so yeah, I was, it, it, it is. It's just it's it's like being in, but like like the same way like their record sleeves are like, you know, a walk through. Yeah. The psyche of Pete and Carl. You know, the the the, 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 the bar uh, is is like you know it's a Libertines theme bar, but. But, but I hesitate to use that phrase because that makes it sound sort of cheesy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It's, I know it's what not, you mean, though. It's not fake. 
It's not. It's not like it's not. It's not Disney. It, it, it's like a real place. You, you'll be able to stay there eventually, won't you? Because they're, they're actually, yeah, they're doing yeah. the rooms up now. Yeah, and they've got a studio as well. So and they've got a studio. Yeah, yeah. Amazing what they've done to that. Yeah, I have to get down to Margate soon. Um, so the question that I ask every every poet that that comes on here, um, and it is quite a vague and quite a broad question, but as I've said, the idea of this podcast was I go around, I, I speak to as many poets as I can. Um, mm. And I try to dispel the myth about poetry and show that it's, it's for a lot of people. Why is it you think then that so many people, especially in the last two years, have sort of engaged or got interested or started buying even poetry books? Because there, there has been an increase in poetry sales. People, what, what is it about poetry? Why poetry? I think it's been a long time coming, actually. I think it's been a slow and steady build from when I first started doing it 20 years ago. I really think maybe like... 2003, 2004 onwards has been this sort of steady build of, of interest in poetry. Um, I know we're seeing it in books now. But I think that's because um, the, pub, the major publishing companies have finally been convinced to take on poets, right? Yeah. I think if they'd done it 10 years ago, you would have seen the spike then. I think the things they're taking on, people who aren't, who's selling the big books, right? It's, it's you know, it's Rupi Kaur or, you know, Kate Tempest. Mm-hmm. Like, 10 years ago, Picador and, and Faber, and they wouldn't have published those poets. Yeah, don't you mention uh, Rupi Kaur in Engine Trouble somewhere? I do, yeah. Um, is that, oh. that is that the wank poem again? No, it's, is in, that different? it's in a poem called Gut. I Gut, think, that's it, yeah. Which is about perhaps I should just give up and <laughs> frame a Rupi Kaur poem and hang it yeah, down. So that's but, a bit, bit mean. That did make mean. me chuckle, though, because yeah, I, I knew exactly just, what you well, meant. What I, what I mean is Rupi Kaur is that a lot of those po- the, like, they're just sort of truisms, aren't they? And they're slightly uplifting, sort of, you know. They're, they're not, you know, they're like little motivational slogans. Yeah. Yeah. Masquerading as poetry. And that's what I mean, you know. Just, uh, just seem a bit, I'm using it as, as a cipher for being comfortable yeah, and um, not punishing yourself anymore. <laughs> yeah, it would be much better off if we all just read Ruby Core and we like, you know, he's f- had fed back to us in, in neat linguistic phrases, what we already thought and knew. It's just <laughs> confirmation bias, isn't it? It's yeah, not, yeah, it's yeah. Not, it's, not, it's not insight. Insight's, never, insight's not as neat as that. It's mm. the, the, their, 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 their aphorisms, their truisms. I suppose another reason people might be turning to poetry as well is because of all the problems we've spoke about surrounding the British press and things like that. It's, yeah. a, it's an alternative avenue for... Well, yeah, we, we, we trust poets. Oh, we did trust poets. This is, this is my issue with, with, the, with the, um, the adverts, you know, when poets doing adverts, is that, uh, is that we... Uh, the reason nationwide are getting poets to those adverts or they were getting poets to those adverts is because we trust poets we trust that voice we see it's trustworthy yeah we see that it has no skin in the game it's someone just speaking their truth um and so of course they want that they want they want to buy and market and set and bottle that trust but of course people aren't idiots once they see poets selling the mortgages for a while they're like always oh, like these poets are obviously getting paid to do this i no longer Trust it was the same. Stand-ups was for stand-ups were very trustworthy. Then they sold us beer for a while, didn't they? Yeah. And now it seems to be the new thing is is um, is a more sort of m- um, a slightly more rickety kind of stand-up. So it's so a nationwide are now doing some stand-up bits, aren't they? Before for their things. Yeah. And you've got that terrible cause light beer rap battle thing. Have you seen that? It's got um, <laughs> Dot uh, Brown. Yeah, Dot Brown. Dot Brown's doing it. I don't know what the fuck. What the fuck is he doing? Dot Brown's funny, man. I was going to say, he, whenever dreadful. I watch that advert, he's it's not... Utterly a, dreadful. It's not a representation of Shameful. his ability. Is it? Shame. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah. I can't believe that. It's awful. Yeah. And also, what does it say about Channel 4 comedy? It says, like, this isn't funny. It's so bad. Yeah, it's so bad. We'll get, we'll get you in the mood for this I don't program. Like rap battles are the best of times, but if you compare that to what, like, with what Mark, Mark Grist has done in his rap battles, yes, yeah. to like <laughs> to what they're doing on that, I mean, it's just it's just awful. It's shame on them. Yeah, shame on them for that. <laughs> and the thing is, when people do that, what they do is they sell out all rap battlers, or they sell out all poets, or they sell out you know because everyone thinks, oh, that's what it is. It's just this shit thing. Yeah. And what the thing I loved about poetry when I first heard it I'd never heard anything like it and it felt so exciting and so truthful and so deeply subversive yeah um, and I think if you've already seen it selling you a product it's never going to feel subversive and that might be fine for a lot of people they're not looking for something subversive I was looking for something subversive I was looking for something that was important that said bullshit to everything 
And I don't now, as an almost 40-year-old man, think bullshits for everything. I think some things are quite good, <laughs> some things we've got right. But like, it was important to me at that age to have something that felt, you know, exciting yeah. and truthful to itself and in no way sold out. Definitely. And these might be old-fashioned kind of views, this idea of apparently most millennials don't know what the, con- what the concept of selling out means. Uh, but I don't. I suppose it's come quite normal though in in yeah. their world. That's you what people to, do. You need to interact with brands and all this. Yeah, which is a sad thought. But I just think I don't know. I know plenty of poets who don't need to interact with brands in order to survive. Yeah. So yeah, I've got I've got onto this thing, which maybe very unpopular last time I spoke out about it. Uh, so each to their own. I don't, you know. I just that's just my opinion on it. Anyway, don't know how we got onto that. <laughs> right. Um, before I bid you farewell um a question i have to ask and people obviously i'm putting you on the spot a bit but um who should we be checking out who should we be uh reading or listening to in in poetry in your world who are you reading at the minute that we may not have heard of that that we should uh well you probably have heard these people i mean i really rate jamama foxtrot i think she's great um i've been reading a poet called jonathan terranova on Instagram. Okay. I've no idea who he is. He just followed me on Instagram and I followed him back and I really like his stuff. Um, interesting. Reminds yeah. me of Bobby Parker, kind of bold, fearless in that way. Okay. Um, Molly Naylor's new collection of poems is great. I've been um, doing some, um, just like doing little bits of edits and stuff on those um, for her informally um, and um, think, yeah, it's really exciting. Very excited about that. Um, John Osborne always my best mate I was mentioning but he's a great poet really underrated yeah wonderful um, yeah I think that's um, kind of they're my faves oh um, Kat Sinclair's really good really like her stuff she's just got a new book out called um, Very Authentic Person okay which <laughs> is just dripping in sarcasm I think or maybe not yeah that's the beauty of it yeah. I've not heard of her I'll check that out yeah she's from Brighton Brighton poet um, and lastly, where can people find you? Um, you? You've still got many shows for Poet Laureate. Where can they? Yeah, I've got I've got a few. About, by the time this goes out, probably probably not. Um, but yeah, I mean I'm gigging till the end of the year. Okay. Either with John Cooper Clark or the Libertines or some a few things, and then I'm doing my Logan Dankworth tour. Um, the first dates just popped up online for that. I've got 20 dates in between now and July. Um, and you got a website. Yeah, LukeWright.co.uk. Yeah, for all your Luke Wright needs. There we go. Um, Luke, it's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for me. Yeah. Cheers. Now, I know we were treated to a live, impromptu, mid-chat recital from Luke there, and what a treat that was. But I can't help but smile at this poem, and it really was a poem that got me into Luke Wright many, 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 many moons ago. So I wanted to share it with you too. And Luke mentioned it, I mentioned it in our chat. This is the infamous poem about the Essex Lion, called Essex Lion. So there we were, like every year, a lady's throw from Clecton Pier. The summer coughing up its last, the, the whiff of burger, a clink of glass at Babs and Brian's caravan, the children palmed up on their nan, about to have a barbecue, perhaps a chardonnay or two, then chew the fat, smoke cigars, talk football, property and cars, let the evening ebb away in creamy moonlit reverie. And Barbara squawked, Oh Lord, fuck me! And all in sun return to see a cat like beast. Bar cries, said Brian. Is that? It is! A fucking lion! A fucking lion! A fucking lion! That peaceful collecting campsite nylon went berserk. Atomic warning. Campers diving into warning. Sausages on grills abandoned. Couples pegging it in tandem. But I just stood and gazed in wonder at the great beast standing yonder silhouette on low slung sunset worlds away from low life pundits talent shows loan repayments tabloid headlines mortgage statements school fees top gear work taxes forms lists boat slips emails faxes often i think we're just prisoners but that lion was the business Stoked up coals inside of me that I've not felt since 93 then vanished in a kick of dust and left us in the Essex dust. Officer, I swear to you, I'll only add a can or two. Ask Babs, ask Linda, we're not lying, we fucking saw a fucking lion!
fucking dead. Weren't a dog, no ghost stand from an Essex bog. It as good as made a beeline for us, and that thing was feline officer. Ask Steve, ask Gabby, that was no domestic tabby. Feeding that thing would get trying. A paradise lost of fucking irons, a fucking lion, a fucking lion. I'll still swear it when I'm dying, officer. Don't be a Benny. The thing we saw was MGME, a fucking lion, a fucking lion. Aslan's nephew, Simba's sire, a fucking lion, bonafide, the sort of thing what's got a pride, a fucking lion, a fucking lion, a fucking lion, a fucking lion. I'll make this plain. I'm not insane, that creature. And a cunting mane. A massive thank you to Luke. Would love to get you chatting on the podcast again one day soon. The Toll, along with his other collection, Mondeo Man and After Engine Trouble, are available at all good bookshops. After Engine Trouble, the small pamphlet of poetry released this year on Rough Trade Books, is fantastic as well. Insightful, funny, charming, increasingly relevant. Looking forward to catching Luke at Brixton before the Libertines. A massive thank you, as always, to you at home for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share it with a friend. You can find us on Instagram at people's poetry podcast over on twitter at people underscore poetry you can find us on facebook people's poetry podcast i'm on twitter jbo that's jbo pens poems and you can email us if you want to get involved with the show if you're a poet yourself and you'd like to sit down and chat or social media just don't cut the mustard and you want to get in touch it's people's poetry podcast at hotmail.com all that remains for me to say is thank you for choosing people's poetry podcast thank you for choosing poetry that's the end of series three i'd like to wish every single one of the listeners a very merry christmas and a happy new year and we'll be back in 2020 with series four